Last week I left you somewhat further informed as to my past in service to the crown. In this week's dispatch I relay how serendipitous life can truly be, how the tables can quickly turn, and one's past be suddenly thrust back upon oneself, leaving one gasping for relief. It all started with an impromptu visit from Mick, on the afternoon of the day whose night was to be occupied with the soiree care of the divines. I had happily baked and cooked some delightful desserts and savoury bites for the evening, and had utilised my treasured eski for their storage ready for the off. This was my first mistake. My attention was diverted by a knock on the front door. I answered the call and found Mick standing in the porch. Our eyes locked, and a sudden understanding passed between us. Something of the way he had held himself had previously alerted me to the undeniable truth that Mick was a military man. Having served myself, though in a manner cloaked from all but the highest-ranked officers of the realm, I should have been more guarded. But with the whiff of nutmeg and cinnamon still wafting through my olfactories, I was lulled into a full sense of security. In that moment of open and honest scrutiny between two warriors, each other's capabilities, stance and stature were assessed, logged and squirreled away in the recesses of each other's minds. We had both given away more than either of us had hoped. I was momentarily swept back to operations with my beloved regiment, the Twats, the Diddlywink assault team. Reeling from such recollection, I still managed to pull myself together and finally invite the man in. Observing the cultural norms of this land, I offered Mick alcoholic refreshment the moment he stepped over the threshold, to which he happily accepted. Mm. With an appropriately stubby holder housed cold beer in hand, Mick began to relax. I drew his attention to the yeasty, hoping to gain praise, and indeed Mick seemed suitably impressed. Hoping to capitalise further and gain more favour, I opened up the yeasty's lid to reveal the results of the afternoon's toil— Whereupon there was an audible gasp, swiftly followed by the sensation of an iron grip on my gonads. What a fool I'd been! Vulnerable and immobilised, there was nothing I could do. My hair was gripped and head tugged back against Mick's shoulder. Mick rasped in my ear. What the fuck is there in the esky, mate? Tidbits for the party later, Mick, I responded. Mate? You should know that an esky is for the sole use of alcohol storage and transportation thereof. Any other use is sacrilege, understand? I had made a terrible cultural blunder and immediately voiced my apologies to Mick. He released his iron grip and backed off lest I launched a blinding counterattack. He need not have worried. I was crestfallen with remorse for my indelicacy towards him and his nation's ways. Suitably mollified, for I was near to tears, Mick told me not to sweat it, just get the fucking food out of the esky. He then directed my attention to the labelling on the front of the container, which informed any reader of it that the receptacle's capacity was seventy-six cans. Oh. Thanked him and dumped its aforementioned contents in favour of copious cans of piss. Seventy-six of them, to be precise. With the air cleared and a fresh cold one each, we set to putting the world to rights and regaled each other with tales of our daring do. Mick's battalion, as with most, were resourced with the standard armoury common to any nation's forces. Mick was surprised to hear of the only weapon used in the twats, that of the agents themselves, or tiddles, who dispatched their enemies by deploying the wink via the tiddly. 
For in the right hands the wink is not unlike an angel's star, razor-sharp but innocuous to the untrained eye, you see, and deadly as a result. Having sunk half the contents of the freshly stocked eski, Mick made tracks to head home prior to the party, and I set to restocking the eski before anyone else had cause to question my machismo, intestinal fortitude, or general masculinity. It's a fucking minefield out here, and I still have a lot to learn, evidently. Later that night, prepared and dressed for the evening's events, we slipped into the darkening dusk and walked through the park and onwards towards Adams. Whilst walking through a sheltered copse, I noted two men further along the path, walking directly at us. As they neared, I noticed they were paying particular attention to my e-ski, which I was pulling behind me. Having left myself vulnerable once already, albeit to a justified attack from Mick, I was reluctant to leave myself wide open again. Just as I was preparing to attack the two wrapped men, suddenly they tore their gaze from the eski, stepped swiftly and deftly off the path, stood at ninety degrees to ourselves, silently and still. As we passed, we noted that one had his palm over his heart. The other was saluting. Now I am not one to hold back. Some have called me brash, outspoken, loud even. But I was so taken aback at this display of respect and reverence for an officer of the realm of the British Empire that I was struck dumb. Were those two subjects my first recruits to the BBC? Overcome with emotion, and I am not ashamed to say a tear in the eye, I stepped and faced the men. Thank you, gentlemen, for your share of respect, I said. Just doing what any other Australian would do, mate. Always give way to the beer. I'm sorry, I responded. Hail the esky, make way for the cool box, said the other one. And then it hit me, like a rock. The respect was for the transportation of the piss. Oh, most treasured of commodities. And the esky, like the Ark of the Covenant, had gained almost biblical symbolism within the eyes of the Aussies. I had been wrong for it again. Having thought I was prepared for an attack of sorts, it transpired I had underestimated the draw of piss for these people. I thought back to my earlier formative years in Blighty, all those years leading to this moment. I had watched God knows how many Foster's adverts on TV, where the Aussies' fondness for the amber nectar had been portrayed, and I had let it go over my head, in one ear, out the other. In that moment, a new resolve was forged. This baptism of fire had cleansed my soul, and from that point, a new path opened before me. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. All that was required now was a metaphorical Learjet to fast-track the journey. <laughs>